Take your Bible and turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you're looking in the Pew Bible, you should find it on page 671. Proverbs 3. Uh, when I was in high school, some of y'all may have had a similar experience, but I had a job bagging groceries, and uh, we were allowed to... Uh, accept tips when we helped people to their car. One day, I was taking this man's groceries out to his car, I get them all loaded up, and he hands me a $20 bill. Now, I don't know if things have changed. I don't know if people even still tip anymore, but back then, $20 was a big, big tip. So I was pretty excited. The problem is, when I opened it up, it was not, in fact, a $20 bill. It was a gospel tract that was disguised as a $20 bill. Now, hear me out. I am all for gospel tracts. If you want to leave gospel tracts, do it. But gospel tracts as an excuse for being a cheapskate, not a big fan. Uh, if you want to leave a gospel tract for your server at a restaurant, uh, for example, uh, do it. But leave a good tip if you, if you want them to actually care about what's in the tract. Um, we live in a world that's filled with counterfeits. You know, some of them are easy to spot, like gospel tracts disguised as fake currency. Uh, vegan cheese, that's another counterfeit that's pretty easy to detect. People who get their, their pictures airbrushed to make their teeth look whiter, I can usually spot one of those. Um, so some counterfeits are easy to see. Others are more difficult to detect. Uh, these days, somebody with a computer program and a little free time can make a video in which it appears that a public figure said something they didn't actually say. So it's kind of a, a dangerous time in which we live. This morning, however, we're going to examine the Christian virtue of humility. And I instinctively feel everybody's muscles tighten up when I say that word. What makes humility so tricky is that there are so many counterfeit versions of it. It's tempting to pursue a facade of humility, to, to act, not to try to actually be humble, but so that other people will think we're humble, which is inherently not a humble thing to do. And so we need God to help us see through the ways that we deceive ourselves, the ways that we try to deceive others. We need to pray as David did in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. I hope that you'll make that your prayer this morning as we read together in Proverbs chapter 3. Let's read together. We're going to begin in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for lengths of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. 
My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. Let's pause there and pray together. Lord, I pray that You would speak through Your Word today that was written by Solomon many, many, many years ago. And yet it was inspired by You, breathed out by You, and it is still living and active today. I pray that You would speak through Your Word and that You would bless us with the wisdom and the refreshing quality of humility. Lord, there are many people in this room today who are burdened down, and I include myself among them, burdened down with pride. And I pray that You would lift that burden from us and refresh us with the humility that You have displayed in Christ and the humility that You offer to us through Your Spirit. So God, help us today, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to see here in Proverbs 3 um, not only a description of humility, but also of humility's opposite, which is pride. Uh, pride is a disease with symptoms that can easily go undetected, or better yet, pride is a disease that we can usually diagnose in others far more easily than we can in ourselves. When I start talking about pride, most of us start thinking about people we know. And I just want you to think about the irony of that for just a moment. Uh, an author named Jerry Bridges put it this way, One of the problems with pride is that we can see it in others, but not in ourselves. Which is why we need to ask God to reveal to each of us the pride that He sees in our lives. So I want to encourage you this morning, as we walk through this, to ask God to reveal what He sees in you. Don't fixate on the pride that you think you see in other people's lives. It would be easy to let our minds wonder. You hear something about pride and you think, oh, that sums up old so-and-so. You hear something about humility and you, you think about, oh, I sure wish old so-and-so could listen to this sermon. The irony is, if that's your response, you are engaging in pride even while you look for it in others. And so we have a lot of heart work to do to detect even the subtlest expressions of pride in our lives and to determine whether we're pursuing one of the many counterfeit versions of humility or whether we're pursuing biblical humility. So before we go any further, I want us to try to define authentic humility because there are so many counterfeit versions of it. I want to try to just summarize in one sentence what is authentic humility. Here is my best effort. Authentic humility is being so preoccupied with the glory of God and with the good of others that I joyfully forget about myself. Authentic humility is being so preoccupied with the glory of God and with the good of others that I joyfully forget about myself. Now some people, when they think about humility, they wrongly associate it with basically hating yourself or putting yourself down. So they think, I have to go around, I have to say, oh, I'm a nobody, that kind of thing. C.S. Lewis, in the book Mere Christianity, famously said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So humility is not self-hatred, it is self 
forgetfulness. In fact, we could do a mental exercise and ask, suppose we encounter someone who's truly humble. How would we know that that person is, is humble? Well, we, we know that obviously it wouldn't be that they tell us. Obviously, if somebody goes around saying, I'm the humblest guy I know, then they're probably not the humblest person they know. But we also, we shouldn't look for somebody who's just constantly, oh, poor pitiful me, I'm nothing and I'm nobody and I can't, don't have anything good to offer to the world. That's false humility. So C.S. Lewis, here's, here was his suggestion. He said, if you, if you meet a really humble man, he will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. In other words, if you, if you meet a really humble person, it's not going to be the kind of person who's just, you know, oh, poor pitiful me, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. But it's just going to seem like somebody who was, that person was very friendly, and everything I talked about, he seemed really interested in it, and he seemed like a, a happy guy. A humble person is not someone who's constantly putting themselves down. They're simply not fixated on themselves. So the kind of person who's constantly putting themselves is still fixated on themselves, which is not humility. A, a humble person is too busy focusing on God and others, the glory of God and the good of others, that they joyfully forget about themselves. Proverbs 3 paints a picture of humility versus pride. I want you to notice, uh, especially we're going to especially look at verses 5 through 8. And there is a parallel. Verses 5 and 6 are parallel to verses 7 and 8. I want to show you this because it helps make sense of what Solomon says in verses 5 and 6 and of what he says in verses 7 and 8. So in verses 5 and 6, trusting in the Lord with all your heart, acknowledging Him in all your ways, that runs parallel to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So what does it mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart? What does it mean to acknowledge Him in all your ways? It means that you fear the Lord and you turn away from evil. Verse 5 says, Do not lean on your own understanding. Whereas verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. You see how those two things are, right? Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And in both cases, there is a promise. Verse 6, He will make straight your paths. Verse 8, It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, we tend to treat humility as a burden. We, we think, if, I'm, if I have to be humble, then I have to put on this burden of humility. When God says the total opposite of that, there is nothing more poisonous to your soul than being fixated on your own interests and being wise in your own eyes. Humility, on the other hand, is refreshing. God says that it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That's what happens when you do not lean on your own understanding, when you are not wise in your own eyes. To be wise in your own eyes is to refuse the reviving that God promises to the humble. So when I preach a sermon on humility, I'm not asking you to take a burden. I'm asking you to give up a burden. I'm asking you to take something that is refreshing and reviving and healing. Now, just because humility brings healing in the end does not mean it's easy in the beginning. 
Authentic humility means not only that I listen to God's Word, that I allow Him to direct my paths and I don't try to do them on my own, and also that I accept His correction. Verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. This too is wisdom. This too is humility. So, it helps to have some sort of diagnostic questions we can ask ourselves on occasion. Here's one. When you feel critiqued, when you feel criticized in some way, whether it's by God or by someone else. So sometimes you come to church and the preacher preaches and you feel convicted. That's another way of saying you feel you know, critiqued by God. Other times, someone that you know criticizes you or critiques you in some way. When that happens, how do you respond? The way you respond can, can tell you, am I a humble person or not? If you are above being corrected, you can rest assured that your heart is a den of pride. It helps to ask someone who knows you well. Now this is dangerous, so it needs to be somebody you trust. If you're married, a spouse is a, is a good place to start. If, if not, maybe a, a parent or a child or a brother or sister or close friend. Ask them this, do I ever admit that I am wrong? Do I ever lose an argument? Now they might say, well, yeah, you do, but you don't ever admit that you lost it. That's the point. Do I ever admit, do I ever let you win an argument? If the answer is no, I never admit that I'm wrong and I never let anybody else win an argument, then you've got some work to do because no one is always right. And humility is simply acknowledging that. It's acknowledging that I'm not always right. A humble heart is open to being wrong sometimes. It's open to correction. It's open to discipline. A humble heart does not despise the Lord's discipline. So we desperately need a clear picture of authentic humility. But we also need to chart a path for how we can pursue it and cultivate it in our lives. Pride is like a weed that just sprouts up wherever. It doesn't, you don't have to feed it. You don't have to water it. It doesn't need any sunshine. It will just grow whenever and wherever without you having to do anything. Humility, on the other hand, is something that we have to cultivate and tend to if we expect it to grow in our lives. So I want to give you this morning five suggestions for how we can pursue authentic humility. First is we can cultivate a habit of prayerful dependence on God. Cultivate a habit of prayerful dependence on God. The Bible is very clear that God does not depend on us for anything, but that we depend on Him for everything. Acts 17 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So God does not need anything from you or from me, but we need life and breath and everything from Him. The problem is that it's easy for us to pretend that we are sufficient in ourselves, that we don't need Him. Prayer works two ways. First, 
prayer is one of the chief ways that we express our dependence on God, that we say to Him, I cannot do everything on my own, which is why I'm talking to you. And prayer is also a reminder to myself that I need God, that I depend on Him, that I can't do everything by myself. So it's an expression of dependence, but it's also a reminder to myself of my dependence on God, which is why we have to cultivate a habit of prayerful dependence. So I want to just, I don't want anybody to have to read between the lines this morning, okay? Prayerlessness is a sign of pride. Now, Brother Matt, are you saying that if I don't pray regularly, I'm prideful? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm glad that I was clear enough that you understood me. If your life lacks prayer, then your life lacks humility. Listen to 1 Peter 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. I want to just take a couple phrases there and, and repeat them so that you hear the connection here. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. God says that one of the ways we humble ourselves before Him is by casting our anxieties on Him. God's not asking you to bear an extra burden. He's telling you to lay down the burden of pride, to lay down the burden of thinking that you have to carry all of your anxieties and all of your concerns and all of your responsibilities by yourself. He wants you to cast them on Him because He cares for you. So being intentional to pray expresses our dependence on God. So we're, we're just telling the truth that I, I can't manage this. I can't do this. I, I, I depend on you. I need you. But praying also reminds us of our dependence on God. It's, it's, it's for us to remind ourselves. Pride keeps us from praying and failing to pray keeps us from humility. It's a vicious cycle. Pride makes me not want to pray. And when I don't pray, I don't become more humble. So if you want to pursue authentic humility, that's a good starting point. Break that cycle and cultivate a life of prayerful dependence on God. Whatever that looks like in your life. It doesn't have to be that you spend two hours a day in prayer. It can just be first thing when you wake up in the morning. It can be when you're in the car on your way to work or school. Just taking a moment, reminding yourself that everything I have in this world, I didn't do it. I'm not a self-made person. This all came from God. He's a good Father. He's the one who gave me this. He's the one who woke me up. He's the one who gave breath to my lungs this morning. He's the one who gave the blood in my heart. He's the one who kept my heart beating. He's the one who gave me the brain function to be able to push the gas pedal to drive to work and to do what I have to do at work, to make money so I can go to the store and buy bread and make a sandwich and eat it and on and on and on. Everything is from Him. None of it's from me. Second thing you can do, be teachable. Be teachable. That's essentially what these 12 verses in Proverbs 3 are about. And it's essentially what the book of Proverbs is about. When, when people think about the book of Proverbs, if you were to say, what's, you know, what's the one word that would summarize the book of Proverbs? A lot of people would say wisdom. But if you were to ask, what's the, what's the one idea that summarizes what wisdom is? The idea that comes up over and over again is teachability. 
Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. According to Proverbs, there is something worse than being unwise. There's something worse than being foolish, and that is being unteachable. Because someone who lacks wisdom can gain more of it. Wisdom is a renewable resource. It is available to anyone who will ask God in sincerity. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So wisdom is a free, open, renewable resource. Anybody can get it. The problem is you have to humble yourself to ask for it. God's willing to give wisdom, but we must be willing to ask for it and to seek it. Jerry Bridges uh, was a, a famous uh, uh, Bible teacher and author. And uh, for years he taught in this ministry called the Navigators. And he would go around and, and teach different people. And he, he said that an independent, unteachable spirit is one of the most common expressions of pride that he saw among people who claimed to be followers of Christ. So this was a man who, who traveled the world and went to all churches and all different kinds of conferences and different things. And he said, the most consistent form of pride that I see everywhere I go among followers of Christ is this independent, unteachable spirit. He, he writes, often a response to something I'm teaching is, well, I think thus and such. No appeal to Scripture is made. It's only the person's opinion. Yet in his or her mind, that opinion is authoritative. There's no willingness to grapple with the teaching of Scripture. So here's what that means for us today. The way that you are responding to this sermon right now indicates something about your level of humility or pride. I mean, right now, what's going through your head and what's happening in your heart it's indicative of how much humility or how much pride. I'm not saying that humility means that you have to listen to me. I'm saying that humility means us collectively listening to God, submitting our opinions to what He has said in Scripture. Someone who is unteachable is worse than a fool because they do not seek wisdom. They scoff at wisdom. They think themselves wise in their own eyes. So if you think you never have anything to learn, that is one of the most dangerous forms of pride because it's the kind of pride that cuts us off from correction, that cuts us off from wisdom. Again, it's not about how wise or unwise you are. It's how teachable or unteachable you are. That applies to every age group. There are, there are people who could be older and who might have more wisdom, but they're not teachable. A young person who doesn't have a lot of wisdom but who's teachable, the book of Proverbs says, is better than an older person who may have a lot of worldly wisdom but they're not teachable. So it's how teachable are you? That's the second suggestion I will give you. Number three, have a realistic view of your own sin and repent. Have a realistic view of your own sin and repent. Simply put... If we really know how sinful we are, it is going to, it's not going to mean that we always are humble, but it's sure going to help. Being humble and being contrite 
tend to go hand in hand. I'll give you an example. Isaiah 66, 2. God says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God says, that's the person to whom I will look, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Not the person who thinks that they are in need of nothing, but the one who knows that they need God, who knows that they are sinful and they tremble at His word. So, question, do you tremble at God's word? Or is there a casualness about how you hear God's word? Another common form of pride among followers of Christ is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the kind of pride that says, I'm a good person. At least I'm not as sinful as old so-and-so. Jesus tells us the parable about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's a great example of what self-righteousness is. The Pharisee stands up at the front he says, Oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all these sinners. I especially thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. And the tax collector is at the back of the room, face down, beating his chest, saying, Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus asked the question, Which one of those two went away justified that day? And the answer was the tax collector. Self-righteousness, like an unteachable spirit, is a dangerous pit because it refuses the remedy it refuses to come to God for what He alone can provide. Revelation 3, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen." and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So if you think you are in need of nothing, then you will fail to receive from God what He says you truly need. So if you want to pursue authentic humility, let the light of God's Word show you the depths and the ugliness of your sin. Let God disabuse you of any sense of self-righteousness and repent. It is difficult to have a realistic view of your own sinfulness and at the same time harbor pride in your heart. Number four, occupy your mind with thoughts of God's greatness. I said at the beginning that authentic humility is being so preoccupied with the glory of God and the good of others that we joyfully forget about ourselves. So one thing we could do is to occupy our minds with thoughts of God's greatness. Meditate on God's glory. Psalm 8, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? I once had uh, someone ask me a question that I have valued and that I think about often. He said, what can you do in your life that increases your sense of awe in God? Whatever that is, do it. So if, if, if walking around in nature and marveling at creation, if that increases your sense of awe, do that. If buying a telescope and looking at the stars and seeing how vast the galaxy is, if that increases your sense of awe, then do it. 
if if listening to to great music or looking at great art or reading stories by great authors, if those things increase your sense of awe in God, then do those things. Occupy your mind with thoughts of God's greatness. But the clearest and the best way to do this is by looking to the cross. Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when we meditate on God's greatness and the humility that Jesus expressed despite his glory, it should rid us of any notion of our own greatness, of our own self-sufficiency. We cannot simultaneously look to God's glory and look to the cross and also harbor pride in our hearts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Fifth, receive the gift of God-ordained suffering. Receive the gift of God-ordained suffering. We can and should pursue humility, but we need to know that God also works to bring it forth. And one of his choice instruments to uproot pride and to cultivate humility is suffering. But here's the kicker. We have to receive this gift in faith. Look at verse 11 and 12 again in Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Suffering sometimes hardens people. It makes them bitter. They despise the Lord's discipline and grow weary of his reproof. We have to allow it to soften us and to make us humble. We have to receive it and not despise it. There's this hymn that I often return to by John Newton, the man who wrote uh, Amazing Grace. If you ever just, you know, are in a, their bookstores are increasingly rare, but if you're ever, you know, scrolling on Amazon or wherever, and you happen to come across a book that has hymns written by John Newton, buy it. Because he wrote a lot more than just Amazing Grace and really, really profound songs. And this hymn that I, I come back to often is called, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. I want to close by reading the words of this hymn. John Newton writes, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of His salvation know and seek more earnestly His face. T'was He who taught me thus to pray, and He, I trust, has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once He'd answer my request and by His love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Now, pause for just a second. He's, he's asking the Lord, Lord, I want to grow, I want to be sanctified. And I thought that what God was going to do was He was just going to do something mysterious in my heart and take away all my desire for sin and give me peace. John Newton goes on to say, Instead of this, He made me feel the hidden evils of my heart, 
and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. We don't often talk about the Lord that way, but it's wise to. Yea, more with His own hand He seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, and laid me low. And then the song ends with this conversation between John Newton and God. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answered prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And uh, this is our opportunity to respond to God's Word. This is a sermon that I have approached with much fear and trembling. Um, and I want you to know that I have been praying for you this week as I have worked through this text myself and as I thought about what I would say today. And those are the words that I prayed for you. Those words that God said in that song, they're not God-inspired, but I think they're true to the, uh, the spirit of God's Word. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me. It's not... Humility is not about us simply humbling ourselves for the sake of humility, but it is that we would find our all in Him. And that's my prayer for you, is that you would find your all in Him, that you would pursue that, and that God would allow anything to happen to you that would bring that result. I'm going to be standing at the head of this hall. I'd love to speak with you or pray with you this morning. The altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that um, the result of what we have heard this morning would be that at this very moment, our hearts would be laid low before you. God, that there would be no puffed up chests, no swagger, no lifted heads, but God, that we would bow ourselves before you, knowing that we are from dust, and to dust we will return. All that we have is from you. All that we have is for you. And God, that you are all in all. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you who existed in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you emptied yourself, you humbled yourself, and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And I pray that that would be the model that each one of us would follow. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not trusted in you, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would move. Draw them to the humbled and risen Savior, Jesus. God, that, uh, that they would cast aside any attempt to be sufficient in themselves and that they would cling to you alone. And God, I pray that you would help us to be so preoccupied with your glory and with the good of others that we would joyfully forget about ourselves as we serve you and love one another. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.